is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number is 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. I'm holding one story in my hand from Reuters that was dropped this evening, Friday, while all this horror and mayhem is taking place in Afghanistan, while we have thousands of Americans there. And the story was dropped, presumably by the FBI. And so I'm thinking to myself, I got to address this story, and I'm certainly going to address what's going on in Afghanistan. I've been doing that for some time now. But I can't allow the FBI to use the cover of the of the horror and the turmoil that's taking place in Af- and Afghan excuse me, Afghanistan to get away with this. And here's the story. Reuters, the FBI has found scant evidence that the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol was the result of an organized plot to overturn the presidential election result, according to four current and former law enforcement officials. That's the FBI leaking. Though federal officials have arrested more than 570 alleged participants. The FBI at this point believes the violence was not centrally coordinated by far-right groups or prominent supporters of then-President Donald Trump, according to sources, who've been either directly involved in or briefed regularly on the wide-ranging investigations. Quote, 90 to 95 percent of these are one-off cases, said a former senior law enforcement official with knowledge of the investigation. Quote, then you have 5% maybe of these militia groups that were more closely organized. But there was no grand scheme with Roger Stone and Alex Jones and all these people to storm the Capitol and take hostages. FBI investigators did find that cells of protesters, including followers of the far-right Oath Keepers, notice they never say the Marxist group BLM, and Proud Boys groups, have aimed to break into the Capitol, but they found no evidence the groups had serious plans about what to do if they made it inside, the sources said. 
In other words, there was no insurrection, ladies and gentlemen. And they waited till the day to dump it into the media. Prosecutors have filed conspiracy charges against 40 of those defendants, alleging they engaged in some degree of planning before the attack. So far, prosecutors have steered clear of more serious politically loaded charges that the sources said have been initially discussed by prosecutors, such as seditious conspiracy or racketeering. Now, it goes on several pages. The American media, the Democrat Party, these American Marxist movements with their hands around the throat of this country. I said something yesterday that was picked up by an individual on Fox, and correctly so, that when you hollow out a country from within, when you dispirit a country from within, when you, when you create the psyche that a country is racist, white-dominated, and has insurmountable imperfections. It has an impact on your foreign policy. It's distracting. It's destabilizing. And as I've pointed out, when you use critical race theory in the United States military, you use it at West Point, in the Naval Academy, and these other places, you weaken the resolve of the American people And our military, and of course, look what they've done to our law enforcement. So this is important. It's very important. That's the whole point of American Marxism, the book. The entire point. That we need to get our resolve back. We need to be inspired again. We need to do everything we can. To, uh, to advance the cause of this country. So I thought I would mention that because the whole goal of the FBI and others who, who revealed this today was to reveal it in a way that you wouldn't know about it. But trust me, Liz Cheney, Adam Kingsinger, the others, won't change their minds, won't change Pelosi's mind, because so much of this for them is ideological and political and self-serving and narcissistic. It's that simple. And so they will ignore the facts as much as Joe Biden has. Now, I wrote down here during the course of the day several things related to Joe Biden and his surrender in Afghanistan and the enormous, enormous bloodshed, death, and dislocation that Biden has created here. First, he said today was amazing. And we'll get to some of the audio, but I just want to sum it up. He said today that Al-Qaeda has been defeated in Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda has not been defeated in Afghanistan. They were neutralized, in part because we were there with a, with a very sparse non-combat force. But Al-Qaeda has not been defeated not in Afghanistan, and not in Pakistan, where they are as well. He said and has said that uh, the collapse that took place in Afghanistan and the Taliban 
rolling through the country, uh, that nobody told him about that. I read to you a cable that was sent to the State Department from officials in Kabul that raised this issue some time ago. In fact, I have it right here. It was a cable uh, that was sent on July 13th, over a month ago. What else? Biden has said they were prepared for every contingency. Well, how could they have been prepared for every contingency if Biden said they weren't prepared for the rapid collapse of the Afghan military? And his sidekick, General Milley, said the same thing. So that's three lies. But that's not all. He said Americans are not having problems getting to the airport. Now you have to be deaf, dumb, blind and mentally deranged to say such a thing. Obviously, Americans are having a hell of a time getting to the airport. He can either watch TV, listen to the radio, ask his Secretary of State, ask his Secretary of Defense. And his Secretary of Defense, Austin, told members of Congress in a phone call that, yes, and Americans were being beaten. Beaten. That's four lies. He said that there has been no criticism by foreign countries of what he's done. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's criticism everywhere. It's on television. It's in the newspapers. It's everywhere. Everywhere. That's lie number five. All day you've heard people say, well, what should we do now? What should we do now? We've got to get our people out. We've got to get our people out. What should we do? Now, some people, because they've approached this from an ideological perspective, they don't want to contradict their prior positions. On TV and radio, I suppose. So they don't want to say, send in more military to get our people out. The French have. I discussed that last night. The British have. I mentioned that last night. And now the Germans. They sent commandos, special forces in to get their people out. Obviously, we're not going to do that unless Joe Biden gives the green light. Now, we have civilians as presidents of the United States. Joe Biden has no more experience than anybody else. All he's done is sat in the Senate for most of his life, vice president, most of his life, which, oddly enough, is a very, what should I say, nebulous job. And now he's big-time president of the United States. So what would you do as president? I know what I'd do. i call in the Secretary of Defense, the Joint Chiefs, the heads of our intelligence agencies, and here's what I'd say. I want to plan on my desk in one to two hours on what exactly we should do to get every single one of our citizens out of that hellhole. No conditions. What is it going to take? Resources, personnel, combat divisions, air protection, 
And you better be prepared to institute it. Because I'm going to order you to get every one of our citizens out of that hellhole. Every damn one of them. And then if we do that successfully, I'm going to order you to get them out. And for some reason this is controversial. The men and women who assisted us while we went into Afghanistan to kill Osama bin Laden and to neutralize the threat there, which we did. And we'll do our best to get every one of them out. It's in perfect condition, vetting, and all the rest of it. But first things first. And on that list, when you present me with your proposals, I want you to include taking out the top ten people in Al-Qaeda and their family members, if necessary. That's what I want on my desk. People want to say we need to get our people out. Well, how do you recommend we get our people out? It's going to take force. It's going to take force. Because every minute that goes by where we don't do something akin to that, the Taliban are strengthening their grip on Kabul and the other provinces. But they're strengthening their grip. They're even tightening their circle around the Kabul airport. You've heard them talk about people going door to door. Well, now have you heard them say that they're hanging people? Yes, they're hanging people now. Hanging them. Our government has no idea how many Americans are in Afghanistan. Quite strange when they announced a pullout date and Biden said he was going to pull our troops out and our personnel and so forth. Quite strange how they didn't prepare, isn't it? They have no idea what the number is. No idea. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Now, I've been saying for some time now, even before Afghanistan, that the Republicans in the House need to start talking about impeaching Joe Biden. Now, listen, 
You don't have to be Albert Einstein to know they don't have the numbers this time around, but they will have the numbers hopefully next time around. And so things aren't done with the snap of your fingers. It takes time to lay the groundwork and the foundation. And so I would ask the Republican leadership in the House and in the Senate, what are you waiting for? What does a president actually have to do before Republicans support their impeachment? Have sex with an intern? Now don't get me wrong, I think that's bad. And lying about it to a grand jury and a judge, I think that's very, very bad. But how about a president who defies the Supreme Court ruling? How about a president who keeps the southern border open knowing that criminals and people with the virus and potentially terrorists can come across and yet he violates federal law? How about a president who still to this day, I just gave you five lies. He's been lying to the American people repeatedly about a grave situation in Afghanistan that is going to spread throughout that region and into our borders. Plus, how about the problem that the whole world sees? Then in addition, in addition to being a wrecking ball, the man has lost his cognitive sense. And yet we sit here, and the Republicans, they don't mention the impeachment word. Now the Democrats mention it left and right. Their, their media mention it all the time. Their professors mention it all the time against Trump, and Trump didn't do a damn thing. Nothing. Then they mention the 25th Amendment, which is even harder. No, and I notice the media aren't bringing in any experts to talk about Joe Biden's cognitive issues, whether he's unhinged, whether he's mentally ill, given all the lying that he's doing and the, the complete disconnect between what's going on in the world and what he says is going on in the world. They go after Donald Trump's taxes. Why don't they go after Joe Biden's list of medicines? I'd love to know what medicines he's on. That's all. Why can't we know what medicines he's on? Why can't we know what medicines he's on? And why don't they ask? I'll be right back. Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Boy, do we miss him. You know, I'm very respectful of President Trump. I don't bother him. I don't call him. I don't ask him to come on my shows and all. Um, but I, I, uh, I, like you, miss him enormously. Enormously. And uh, I still cite him frequently, as you well know. And um, we so badly miss him, don't we? Oh, those tweets. Uh, I think we'll take the tweets. Now, Joe Biden said uh, that our allies support what he did. Now, our allies do not support what he did. And this is one of the reasons Sunday's Fox show is so, so important. Um, Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You've heard him on this program, but he even has more time on my Fox show. And that is the 
retired colonel, but former commander of British forces in Afghanistan. And he unleashes on Biden, and he unleashes on what this administration has done. You'll often hear people who've not served in the military on TV and radio talk about they wouldn't send their kids here, they wouldn't do this, they wouldn't do that. This is a man who fought. He's a combat veteran. He fought the enemy. Early on in this war, he organized not just British forces, but the coordination of British forces with many American forces. This is a man who fought in Bosnia. This is a man who's so wise and smart that our military asked him to provide advice for three months in Iraq. And this is a man who who has provided for years advice to the British government on how to fight terrorism. So then, nation that doesn't listen to the Mark Levin radio show, much of it does, will get to see retired British Colonel Richard Kemp for the first time on Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin. And uh, he was very anxious to do it, the program, but it was not easy for him because he doesn't live near London. I won't say where he lives, but he and I become very, very good friends. The family become very, very good friends over the years. He's a huge supporter of the United States. He's a huge supporter of the state of Israel. They, from time to time, tap into his wisdom too, by the way. So this is an extraordinary man. And we will have him exclusively on the Sunday show. And keep in mind what Joe Biden said. Look, our allies don't have any problem with this. Not only is he lying because they can't say enough things about what this screw-up did. But wait until you hear the former commander of the British forces. What he has to say. It's one thing to hear reporters and so forth. And the second guest is retired General Kellogg. Kellogg was a national security advisor to the president and the vice president. Uh, Has had a lot of responsibility throughout his long career. His daughter, his son, and his son-in-law all fought, fought in Afghanistan. His wife was a paratrooper. (laughs) One of the paratroopers who landed to free our college students in Grenada. So this is an incredibly patriotic family. And I invited him on because of this constant refrain from Biden and his people and their surrogates in the media that all Biden did was pick up the Donald Trump plan and run with it. And after you hear General Kellogg, you realize what a lie that is. What an absolute lie that is. It really is a program that could have gone on for two hours. These two men are incredibly fascinating. And so I wanted to bring them to you. I wanted them to have time to talk. It's not about me, particularly in this area. And I think you'll be quite, quite impressed 
It's a very important one hour. And as you know, I do my show differently. I do the long-form interview like interview shows used to be done. I don't have a conga line of guests flying through with big names, so, you know, to get the, the ratings and all. We get ratings by doing it the old-fashioned way. Plus, it's the kind of TV I like to watch. So I'm creating the kind of TV that I think you'll like to watch. It, it's, it, it, you know, we break the mold with a long-form interview on cable, but that's the way it is. And by the way, it's like breaking the mold with American Marxism. I don't buy bulks of my book to jack up my numbers on the New York Times list. I don't care about that. It's not enough for me to do that. Others do this. And if there's any bulk purchase of my book, I don't have anything to do with it. I don't even know who's doing it. Or I may know, but I can't. It's up to them. And uh, I just wanted to tell you, because I think it will contribute this Sunday show mightily to the discussion about what's going on, I feel. Now, so many things to get into here. Joe Biden is always political. He puts his career, his legacy, his party before country. And there's another piece in Reuters. You know, Reuters is British-based, so they're pretty pissed off. Because Reuters is a radical left wire service. But they're not happy right now. And here's the title of a story from Reuters. It says, Biden Afghanistan policy counts on war-weary Americans to lose interest. Now, isn't this interesting? Didn't I say yesterday that Biden is counting on us to lose interest, to lose focus, and that I hope we don't? He's counting on the American people having a short attention span? I said this the other day, and actually, that's what he's doing. He's playing rope-a-dope. So they had their press conference today. It's not even a press conference, press event. Standing behind him, the Vice President of the United States came out of the Witness Protection Program. The Secretary of State came out of the Witness Protection Program. Also, the Secretary of Defense was there. And they were all wearing black, like it's a funeral. They're all dressed like Antifa, oddly enough, or Black Lives Matter. They all wear that particular kind of garb. Anyway... President Joe Biden is brushing off criticism of his administration's chaotic Afghanistan withdrawal because he and his aides believe the political fallout at home will be limited, according to White House allies and administration officials. Biden and his top aides argue they are managing an evacuation mission, as well as could be expected given the faster-than-anticipated takeover of the country by Taliban insurgents. I thought he said he didn't anticipate it happening quickly and are seeking to draw attention back to the choice to get U.S. troops out of the country. The strategy, listen to this, the strategy, meaning a military strategy, is based on internal public polling that shows the Afghanistan withdrawal had been by far the most popular decision Biden has made, even though the issue is not central for most voters. The public opinion polls are pretty damn clear that Americans want it out of the ongoing war and don't want to get back in. It's true today, and it's going to be true in six months, and one by an ally. 
national security decisions by polling. Whatever happened to doing the right thing? If we do things by polling, ladies and gentlemen, we don't need a republic. We don't need a Bill of Rights. It's exactly the thing the framers of the Constitution rejected. Temporary factions and even temporary majorities driving a nation in one direction or another. Exactly what they rejected. White House officials believe America's horror over graphic images of the chaos in Kabul, pleas from Afghans who fear they will be killed by the Taliban, will morph into support for the president's decision to pull troops from the country by August 31 after a 20-year war. This is why we ought not fall into the trap of constantly calling this a 20-year war any more than Korea is a 60- or 70-year war. As I've said over and over and over and over again on TV, on radio, on my digital platform, some people are finally understanding it, regurgitating it. When you have 2,500 people who are not involved in combat and federal contractors who are assisting our allies with their uh, mechanics on their, and, and parts on their, on their helicopters and so forth, and you have an air base from which you can launch air attacks, really, without difficulty, at least back then, a week or two ago, because there was no other air force to attack. You're not involved in a traditional war when the Afghans are doing most of the fighting. I'm not talking about 10 years ago. I'm talking about what was taking place the last several years. A 20-year war. And what else is wrong with that phrase, ladies and gentlemen? Well, now the war is going to be endless. Because the enemy was not defeated, which wasn't even the purpose. The purpose was to neutralize. But now the enemy is not neutralized. The enemy has tens of billions of dollars of our best equipment. The enemy has been armed and revitalized by Joe Biden. The enemy has been armed and revitalized by Joe Biden and his generals. More on that when I return. Here's Joe Biden today at his press conference. Cut 20, go. Let's put this thing in perspective here. What interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with al-Qaeda gone? We went to Afghanistan for the express purpose of getting rid of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan as well as, as well as getting Osama bin Laden. And we did. All right. Now, shortly thereafter, the press secretary uh, at the Department of Defense, Kirby, uh, was confronted by Jennifer Griffin of Fox. And here's how that went. Cut six, go. 
But the president just said that there is no al-Qaeda presence in Afghanistan. That does not seem to be correct. What, what uh, we don't think is that we, what we believe is that there isn't a, uh, a presence that is significant enough to, to, to merit a threat to our homeland as there was back on 9-11 20 years ago. The president also said there is no national security interest, no national interest in Afghanistan. I'm a little confused by that. Can you explain why there's no national interest in Afghanistan? Why did we have troops there for 20 years if there's no national interest in Afghanistan? We had a, we had a significant interest in being in Afghanistan to our national security 20 years ago. Uh, you've heard the president talk about this. The, the, the goal was to, uh, to defeat, decimate al-Qaeda, also to prevent al-Qaeda from launching attacks on the homeland from Afghanistan, and we did that. Okay, so now that we withdrew 2,500 non-combat military personnel, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? How are we going to do that? Because they're more powerful than ever if they're occupying Afghanistan because we won't have forces there anymore, not even 2,500 to support the Afghans who were fighting this enemy, to give air cover to the Afghans who were fighting this enemy, to give intelligence to their special forces who were fighting this enemy. And again, you'll get to hear from uh, the commander of British forces on my show Sunday, retired British Colonel Richard Kemp. But by the way, he looks like and talks like he's incredibly intelligent. Um... Right out of a Hollywood script. Right out of a Hollywood script. He looks the part, is what I'm saying. But he's not an armchair commentator. He's not an armchair, uh, you know, neo-pacifist or anything of that sort. This is a man who's put his life on the line for decades. And he's seen horror. And he is horrified by what's coming in Afghanistan. He's disgusted by it. And he, too, couldn't understand. NATO had six or 7,000 troops there. America had 2,500 non-combat officials. And we, as I've discussed with you, and he couldn't understand. What, 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 and why did we do what we did exactly? Oh, we can't be there forever. Uh, maybe we have to be there forever. I don't even understand that kind of talk. It's like, we have to secure our border forever, right? We have a big, strong military because we have forever enemies. Um, some enemies are enemies forever. It, it's so irrational, that entire phrase, the whole, the whole argument is irrational. It doesn't even make any sense. Now, if you want to debate how we should fight and who the generals should be, that's a totally separate discussion. But if people are armed, and now really armed, and keep going around saying they want to attack us and have attacked us, they've attacked our embassies, they've attacked our cities, they've attacked our Pentagon, for God's sakes, they've kidnapped our people, why don't we take them seriously and believe what they say? No, 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 we can't do this forever. No, but they're going to do it forever. This is the language of a country in decline. This is a language of people who are unwilling to face reality that we have enemies and some of them 
are forever enemies. It's not our fault. They just are what they are. We have criminals in this country, evil people who kill other people, who beat other people, beat them senseless. So why is it so hard to believe that people of that ilk are in other countries and have even bigger plans? This has been the most devastating hundred years in human history. Are you aware of that? With the slaughters by Mao and Stalin and Hitler? With World War I and World War II and subsequent wars? If anything, we should know that there are real live enemies out there. It's not, we drag people into these forever wars and I don't want to send my kids to war. Nobody wants to send their kids to war, for God's sake. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Ever hear of Tom Nichols? Of course you have. He kind of slithers around on MSLSD, and he's on the board of contributors, USA Today, he contributes to the Atlantic, so of course you don't know who he is. He fancies himself a smart guy. He's actually quite stupid. He's got a new book coming out, Our Own Worst Enemy, The Assault from Within on Modern Democracy. See, he hates our country. You're the problem. You're the problem. Not him and his ilk. We need to send this clown a copy of American Marxism, Mr. Produce. Maybe he'll learn something. But I don't think so. Because he thinks Joe Biden is fantastic. He thinks an open border is fantastic. He thinks lawlessness in our streets is fantastic. The war on the cops, fantastic. Inflation, so the average person is having difficulty filling up their cars with gasoline. It's fantastic. He's a professor, don't you know? Anyone can be a professor these days. And so he shows up from time to time on the Morning Schmo Show and some of these others. He not only looks stupid, he is stupid. Then he, he tries to rally his, his like-minded fanatics, scoundrels. Says, uh, we can't have this, ladies and gentlemen. He says uh, on Twitter. I mean, we got, we got Levin's book, number one. We got Jesse Waters' book up there. We got other Fox guys' books up there. Order my book. Order my book so we can beat them. Right, Professor? Right, Professor? He must be tenured. Wasn't he an advisor, have some role with the Lincoln Project, Mr. Producer? I think he did. I think he was an advisor, had some role with the Lincoln Project. He loves George Conway and Jennifer Rubin. Ah, 
quite a circle. I'd say they're jerks, if you get my drift. But I have to get his book, because, you know, we can't stand these other books at the top of the list. No, no, no. Come on, guys. Come on. Rally. Rally. What did he do with the Lincoln Project? A non-paid advisor. So, number one, he's a very stupid man. He advised the Lincoln Project, which now had problems with a pervert and revealing its finances and so forth. Must have gave him good advice over there, Tommy. And number two, he didn't get paid. He doesn't have to. He's a professor. Which means he's on the dole. The guy is fundamentally an idiot. He's a crackpot. There he is. So I thought I'd make him famous. Among you folks. Remember that name, Tom Nichols. Guys, you can buy books by me and Mary L. Trump. Or you can see the top ten in commentary here to goofballs like Levin and Waters. Or toxic white supremacists like Carlson. I don't want to tell you what to do, but we're the only sane ones in, the right, in, in there right now. Oh, Tom. Doesn't that sound a little totalitarian, Mr. Producer? Tom doesn't like competition. Doesn't like competition. So he's got to rally the troops. Not because his book is worth crap. Not because there's anything interesting in it. No, no. Come on, guys. We've got to rally. Come on. Like a prebubescent frat boy. I think. Come on. You've got, you got to buy Mary L. Trump's book. Come on. Come on. Are they these toxic white guys. No, he's a white guy. Of course, but he's not a white supremacist. No, 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 no. Not him. He's one of the good guys. He's an a-hole. That's what he is. Goes on Twitter. I don't know what he does all day. He's a professor, so he probably doesn't do much. Probably doesn't do much. Says he's a professor. I don't even know where he's a professor. Probably Ed's College somewhere. What's he say about himself? Let's see. Tom. Professor, author of Our Own Worst Energy, Cromudgeon, Cat Guy. So he's a, uh, I better not say that, Mr. Producer. He's a kitten. Get my drift? He's a democracy enthusiast. Board of Contributors, USA Today, contributing writer of The Atlantic. And yet he writes like a third grader. Wow, what a book! Our Own Worst Enemy! Wow! The assault from within on modern democracy, you dumb jackass. Don't you see where the assault's coming from? Other than your pants. You see where the assault's coming from? No, he doesn't. That's why he's a professor. Anyway, thought you'd want to know. I'll circle back to him next week. Another guy I want to talk about next week, too. But right now, we're busy. Trying to save a country from... Freaks like this. Now, in American Marxism, just to come full circle here, as I point out, for the 850 or so thousand of you who have a copy, we've allowed the American Marxists to define who we are as a people. They defame us, slander our ancestors in history, trash our founding documents and principles. They're mostly reprobates 
like Tom Nichols, who hate the country in which they live and have contributed nothing to its betterment. Indeed, they live off the sweat and toil of others while they pursue a destructive and diabolical course for our nation, undermining and sabotaging virtually every institution in our society. Right, Tom? If that is your name. Their ideology and worldview are based on the arguments and beliefs of a man, Karl Marx, whose writings are responsible for the enslavement, impoverishment, torture, and death of untold millions. Tom's been out there, you know, strongly has opposed the communist regimes in China and Cuba, North Korea. Oh yeah, Tom's there. He's defending democracy. Not. This is a hard fact, despite the predictable protestations from some in our society who embrace and advance Marxism core ideas, but attempt to disassociate themselves from responsibility for its inevitable outcomes. These are the useful idiots, like Tom Nichols, who occupy influential or leadership positions in the Democratic Party, media, academia, the culture, and so forth. But we must take solace and find strength in the sacrifice and bravery of our early revolutionaries. Joseph Warren, Samuel Adams, John Hancock, Paul Revere, Thomas Paine, admittedly all white, to name a few. And become energized and inspirited by the wisdom and genius of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, James Madison, Benjamin Franklin, and many others. All white, just like Tom Nichols. By the way, why doesn't Tom Nichols resign his professorship and insist that a person of color and a different genitalia take his place? Have you ever noticed that? Oh no, I'm tenured. I'm too good. I can't do it. I'm talking about other white guys, not me. While they've been smeared and degraded by American Marxists and their ilk, we must continue to celebrate them, be invigorated by them, and remember that together they defeated the most powerful military force on earth and founded the greatest and most extraordinary nation in the history of mankind. I can just see some of our cut-and-run types can out. This Revolutionary War went on for eight, eight and a half years. We were losing battle after battle. I can hear them now. Come on, what are we doing this for? Let's cut a deal with the monarchy. Come on. Why are we doing this? They're not so bad after all. Future generations of patriots, a tremendous sacrifice, fought the Civil War. As you well know, massive carnage. Fought World War I, massive carnage. World War II, massive carnage. And then we're blamed. You see, we're the imperialists and the colonialists. And most of the critics haven't contributed a damn thing to this country, let alone its defense, as they seek to undermine us from within. What's this all about? And this kind of, kind of mentality produces the likes of a Joe Biden and a Kamala Harris and an Antony Binkley, Blinkley and a Sherman and the other reprobates, and lightweights, and 12th tier types that Joe Biden has surrounded himself with, and the Tom Nichols of the world. Society has burped up these reprobates. I'll be right back.
Representative Brian Mast is my congressman from Florida, I'm proud to say. And he served in Afghanistan, including Operation Enduring Freedom. Uh, he was with the Elite 28th Ordnance Company, U.S. Army Explosive Ordnance Disposal uh, Technician, uh, serving alongside the Rangers. And in Kandahar, a horrific explosion, and uh, it cost you both your legs, obviously, Congressman. And I want to, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, the nation appreciates it very, very much. Thank you, sir. And it's very important, Congressman, that we get your take on what's taking place in Afghanistan right now. In Afghanistan, the national security consequences for the United States, and I must say, as somebody who didn't serve, but has had family members that served in World War II and so forth, I have never seen anything like this in my life. Anyway, I'd like your input, please. I will start with my number one security concern, and it goes to this, the fact that, that not just in the next couple days or, or weeks or months, but in the years to come, we will see civilians and military combatants killed with U.S. weaponry. And here's the number one question I think that reporters should be asking them uh, as an example. Hey, how many Raytheon-built man pads, uh, man portable aerial defense technology systems uh, did the Taliban get their hands on? Because you're about to evacuate thousands by airlift, and you just gave them the weaponry, as President Biden said, the, they, we gave them the most advanced weaponry. Well, which weaponry and how many of them did you give them to shoot down aircraft? Because this could end up looking like that scene in Black Hawk Down where they're driving down that road just taking fire from all directions. They're not answering these questions about what that inventory is. And, and every single day that we get further down the road of what, what are we on, day seven, day eight of the Afghanistan hostage crisis here, every day that we get further down the road, they learn more about their capabilities. They're more dug in. They have more command and control of the terrain around them. And let's put one other, one other point on that, which just goes to say how backward everything that the president said in his press conference was to say, right? He said that, that he made it clear any interruption of our operations will have a swift response. Well, isn't surrounding the airport and not letting anybody in or out an interruption of that? And I see no response. Um, and, you know, the fact of the matter is we all know from history that when when optics are the biggest concern of politicians, then people get killed. And that's what happened with the Beirut bombings. That's what happened in Mogadishu. That's what happened in Vietnam. And that's what President Biden is doing today, making sure that his optics of not having this appear as a combat mission is the most important thing that he focuses on. And we're going to have people killed because of it. You know, Congressman Mast, uh, I spoke with a friend of mine. He's a retired colonel. He was, uh, for a period of time, the commander of the British forces in Afghanistan, Richard Kemp. And he says, people keep comparing this to Saigon and Vietnam. He said, the difference is really quite obvious. He said, the Vietnamese were not looking to attack the United States on our homeland. They weren't looking to expand. They were looking to conquer their own country. And obviously, uh, the Chinese, with the help of the Chinese and the Russians, to advance communism. He said, not so with Afghanistan. They're looking to attack us, hit our embassies again, hit our country, hit their country. 
These are offensive-minded terrorists, which is why we were there in the first place. He said, so this, what's happening here is much worse, and it took the United States 15 years, really, to recover from uh, Saigon and Vietnam and to build back its prestige in the world and its respect among our enemies. He said, this is going to take much, much longer. What do you think of that? I think it's totally true. You, you, we can break down a couple of things on that. You know as well as anybody. You've spoken about it. We have layered upon one another the most wide-open, porous southern border that, that even outside of this Afghanistan, Afghanistan crisis ongoing, we had terrorists trying to get through. Now we're creating the new terrorist club med of Afghanistan where they can go train. We released, or, or rather they released, hundreds of prisoners that had been questioned and interrogated in the the harshest possible ways for the last several decades that now think that they were released by God's will to go out there and get their retribution on, on their captors, and they can get in at will, or the people that train in Afghanistan will be able to get in at will. That That's part of that extremely dangerous situation that, that you've spoke about yourself. When you want to talk about being able to recover, like any any process, 12-step alcohol recovery program or anything else, you have to be able to acknowledge that you have the problem. Mm-hmm. And this administration stepped up onto a microphone today, and, and it's like they're talking points where, hey, listen, whatever's going on in the world, just say the opposite of that. That, that was as simple as their press conference was, because they stepped up there and said, uh, you know what, I haven't heard from anybody that says uh, there's something going wrong here or there's any problems or that we could have done anything better. It's as though he is still in his basement, not looking at what's going around him. And, and we can't even begin to, to help advance ourselves toward any kind of, uh, of reputation that we will stand alongside our allies. They're, they're going to have Iran get weaponry. Iran is probably right now taking inventory of U.S. equipment, thinking about where they can deploy it against the U.S. or against Israel or other places. They're going to show just how weak they are in places like Taiwan, in places like the Ukraine. They've already shown that with Cuba and Venezuela and other places. This is a continuation of, of all of that. They saw that playing out, and that's probably what led to the Taliban saying, you know what? We can roll the president in this way. He's not going to do a thing. Look what happened. He's no President Trump. You are, I think, rightly very, very concerned about the consequences here. And um, do you have another few minutes to spend with us after the break? If you don't, I understand completely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because I have another question or a couple of more questions I ask you as somebody who's been there and somebody who's obviously very intelligent is looking at all the strategic issues here. And I don't know that there's a simple answer, but the question I'm going to ask you, and we can answer it after the bottom of the hour, is what in the world do we do about this? Because Biden has no intention of leaving anytime soon. You've got Kamala Harris behind him. You've got a Secretary of State who is absolutely feckless. Uh, You've got the Obama team in here now. Uh, The world's on fire, at least part of the world. What, what, What do we do? Or what would you do? We'll be right back with... Congressman Brian Mack. 
Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We're here with a hero. Brian Mast is a congressman from Florida, my Florida congressman, as a matter of fact. And uh, the question I pose to you, sir, is what do we do about this? I mean, I guess we need complete change at the top, and that's not going to happen for another election cycle, I suppose. No, we know that's not going to happen. I mean, the greatest gift would be, listen, fire fire Secretary Blinken, bring back in Secretary Pompeo, bring on President Trump as an advisor. We know that's not going to happen. I, I would caveat any answer I give with this. Because of what President Biden did, there is, is nothing that we can do that, that does not assess as an extreme increase in risk. But I also would fall on the side that doing nothing is never the best course of action. And again, I know that this is something that you're well aware of. We are now the hostages in Afghanistan. It used mm-hmm. to be the other way around, where the Taliban was our hostages. We gave up the high ground, the most secured, fortified positions in that entire country, our embassy, the most secured air base anywhere probably in the world, the Bagram Air Base. If the president honestly believes what he has said about the the red line, line that he put in front of the Taliban, if he honestly believes that, then get back to our fortified air base, get back mm-hmm. to our other positions of high ground, and get all of our, our people out in the most secure possible ways. But he won't do that because he understands that, that everything that he negotiated with the Taliban is absolute crap. It's, mm-hmm. it's an absolute lie. You can't negotiate with those hyenas and believe one ounce of what they're saying. I mean, there's really two ways out of this right now in terms of getting our citizens out. And that is uh, sending in enough forces to crush the bastards if we have to. Uh, or trying to pay them off. And I must tell you, Congressman, I'm worried about the latter. We're not, they're talking, we're negotiating and talking to the Taliban. I'm thinking to myself, well, what are you using as leverage? You took the military out, so what are you using as leverage to negotiate with? You know, they paid off the Iranian regime through South Korea and others for billions and billions of dollars when they were really on the edge of uh, economic collapse. They're rushing toward their nuclear warheads now. Even even uh, France and Germany and Britain are concerned. Even the U.N. is finally concerned. And still, Biden wants to negotiate with them. And so I'm sure the Iranians are telling the Afghans, this guy's a pushover. Don't give him anything. Shake him down. Uh, of course they are. Absolutely, they're telling him that. And his negotiation stick uh, of, of force, as you said, he already said he's leaving at this time. He's not going to assess the conditions on the ground. He's just going to be gone. We're, we're aware of this. You, you've spoken about it yourself. The, the task force, dagger force, that went into Afghanistan immediately after 9-11 cleared the country with, with minimal expeditionary units. We have the capability to do it. He mm-hmm. does not have the will to do it because, as, as we spoke about in the beginning of, of this segment, 
His primary concern is optics. He said it in the very beginning. No, we will not call this a combat mission. He is so worried about the optics. He used the words today in his speech that he will mobilize every American resource. I think what he was doing was using tricky political wordplay to try to say, yeah, he'll mobilize them. He will not unleash them. He will not set the American, the the Rangers that are securing that airfield, our special forces, our Delta, our SEALs, our Marines, everybody that's on the ground there. He's not going to unleash them to to provide to the Taliban the violence of action that only Americans are capable of. And because of that, we will remain at risk. And yet the British, apparently, and the French, and now the Germans, they're sending their commandos and others in there to try and get their people out. I mean, this, I, I, you know, Congressman, think about this, Theodore Roosevelt, even Franklin Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Ronald Reagan, Trump, they wouldn't tolerate this. They wouldn't allow this to take place, do you think? We are dealing with Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. we're not dealing with President Trump. We're not dealing with somebody that no matter what was going on domestically, you could look at him and say, try to cross my red line, and you will learn that, that it is no bluff. It didn't matter what was going on internationally. Try to cross my red line, and you will realize it is not a bluff. We are dealing with, with Joe Biden here that has proven on every single front domestically and internationally that he will roll and that he is weak. And that has been assessed by every single intelligence community around the world. And I don't want to say that about my country or my president. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that about the person that should have no association to the words commander or chief because of his actions, but is in fact the commander-in-chief in charge of, of my friends that are still on the ground, that, are, that literally, as we speak, are putting their lives at risk. And then finally, uh, Congressman, let's talk about your friends on the ground. I'm one of those who say, yes, people who helped us deserve to be protected and deserve to come to the United States, unlike people who come across the border illegally just because they want to. Uh, these are real refugees. These are people whose lives are on the line, and they're on the line because they worked with us. How can we turn our backs on people like that? Mark, it's not just that their lives are on the line. It's that their entire lineage is on the line to be killed in the most graphic ways that you can think of. And you can think of these ways because you can go back and look at the way that they've killed people in these ways. They will stone the women. They will take the young girls and use them for nothing more as baby factories for their soldiers. They will also rape the young boys. They will line up the men against walls and kill them or cut their heads off on the Internet. None of that is hyperbole. This is all proven. And they will do that to every level of their lineage that they can find. That is their history. And, and to your question, how do we leave those people behind? This is the number one commitment that we as soldiers, we as service members, have to one another. We don't leave our men behind. Well, please stay out there. Your voice is critically important, so are others. And um, uh, I never thought I'd live to see this. I mean, we have enemies and so forth, but this kind of a surrender 
And it's, a, it's an ongoing surrender. While we have thousands of Americans, you call them hostages. What else couldn't you call them? And we have uh, allies. And our allies in, uh, in NATO, they weren't even consulted. We leave an air base that we should never have left. And we didn't even tell the Afghans we were leaving. I mean, you pointed it out early on. Every wrong decision imaginable appears to have been their plan. So I want to thank you, Congressman, and keep up the good work, my friend. Thank you, sir. All the best. And take care of yourself. You know, these men and women who've lived in Afghanistan, Americans who have fought in Afghanistan, this, this, is, uh, this is beyond belief to those pedestrians like us, many of us, who did not. It's hard to sleep at night, but can you imagine being a Gold Star family or having lost your limbs? or psychologically have been affected to be watching this take place? Can you imagine? And Joe Biden says over time the American people will forget and will thank him for what he's done. I never thought I'd see the day when the, the European Union effectively was more concerned about this than we are. I don't mean you and me, you know what I mean. It really is incredible. And so the question I'll put on the table right now is, is this the beginning of America's decline? Not because of anything you've done. That's not my point. Is this the beginning of America's decline and the rise of the communist Chinese? We've talked about it. They seem to have been poised. But now has fate lined up in a way did it. We are presented with exactly the wrong president, exactly the wrong Congress, exactly the wrong military and national security leaders, at exactly the wrong time in history. What will the book say a hundred years from now? What will they say of us? That this was the time and this was the place? It could well be. It could well be. They've devoured so much of our culture. They trash us from within. They undermine us from in. You know, guys like Tom Nichols. And organs like Salon. I'll get to them next week. But you get the point. People who literally attack the foundations of this country and the people who make this country work. Regardless of race or background or what have you. They're still going to be teaching our kids critical race theory. They're still keeping the border wide open despite what's been taking place. They're still trashing our constitutional system, trying to pack the court. They're still weakening our economy and our finances with reckless, unbelievably reckless spending. They rewrite our history, pull down our monuments, effectively burn books. They're not going anywhere either. Which is why I've tried to push this new movement. And I think it's building. And it's why we have to call them what they are. And this what it is. 
American Marxism. It's not liberalism. It's not democratic socialism. It's not activism. It's not a fad. It's not part of the cycle. This is evil and dangerous. And it spreads beyond our borders. It affects our psyche. And I'll be right back. See, if you don't think America is great, if you don't think Americans are great, you turn out like Joe Biden. Wasn't that long ago Joe Biden was saying that we were a racist nation? White supremacy. Systemic racism. The men who fought in Normandy, Battle of the Bulge, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, Tarraway, Saipan, Okinawa, fought in the Atlantic, Sicily, Anzio, Operation Dragoon. Were they all white racists? The men who fought against slavery at Chickamauga, Spotsylvania, Wilderness, Chancellorville, Shiloh, Stones River, Antietam, Bull Run, twice. Fort Donaldson, Fredericksburg, Port Hudson, Cold Harbor, Petersburg, Gaines Mill, Missionary Ridge, Atlanta, Seven Pines, Nashville, and so many more. Who fought to end slavery. Were they racist, systemically white racist too? How about the men who fought at Somme, Verdun, Jalopoli, Tannenberg, World War I? What about them? The men who fought in Korea and Vietnam. What about them? How about the men who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan? The dehumanization of our men and women. We're proud people. We're red-blooded Americans. The last 120 years have been horrific in terms of humanity. What would the world look like without this United States? It would look like you're about to see in Afghanistan. Where women are raped, men are lined up and killed and beheaded. Babies are thrown on swords. People are beaten. They're running for their lives. They're trying to flee. Do we realize how lucky we are to have been born in the United States? You know, we could have been born there or anywhere else. When you destroy your country from within, which is the task, people like, in my view, Tom Nichols, Salon Magazine, The Atlantic, when you destroy this great nation from within, which is what Schumer and Pelosi and the squad are all about, and Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden, as it turns out. When you seek to change the demographics and the population of the country, when you seek to change 
the economic system in the country, when you seek to change the constitutional system in the country, and you do all that without lawful authority, and even without the permission of the American people, what are you doing? When you destroy a country from within, you destroy its ability to stand up from without. That's why this book, American Marxism, I hope, is, is resonating as far as it possibly can. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, There's a reporter at CNN, and I want to give a hat tip to Fox, by the way. I, their reporters have been absolutely fabulous. I think they've made some adjustments. Uh, and they've been absolutely fab. I mean, the real reporters have been terrific. They've been terrific. I'd love to see Brett Baer do a Sunday show, wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? I think he'd be good doing a Sunday show. Um, and that's not an attack on anybody. I just think he'd be temperamentally and, and, uh, and intellectually uh, really up to the job. Again, it's not an attack on anybody. But over at CNN, and I could be uh, shown to be wrong in the future, there's an individual by the name of Clarissa, uh, Clarissa Ward, and she's in Afghanistan. Now, she's a woman reporter in Afghanistan. She has guts. She has guts. And on Biden's claim that every American can get to the Kabul airport, this is how she saw it. Cut 10, go. Have you seen any difficulty for Americans there with American passports trying to get through into the airport? And do we know if any of the 10,000 who are waiting there are Americans? No, we had difficulty getting into the airport. Looking out how to get into the airport is like a Rubik's Cube. You have to sit and go through a whole different slew of factors and contingency plans and trying to get help from from different, uh, different places. Um, and, you know, I can't get into the details of how we did get in, but um, it's very difficult. Just go to the airport, says Biden. Just go to the airport. Nobody's going to stop you. Have your papers. Have your papers. Uh, excuse me, it's a lot more difficult than that when these uh, 7th century thugs and, and slime balls are surrounding the place. Cut 11, go. And there are several of these holding areas. They've been standing waiting here for, I don't know, about three hours. It's very hot. There's no shade. There's water. But I wonder if we can get a little bit closer even and just take a look. You see children lying on the ground here. Imagine being here with your family for two days in the scorching sun 
trying to take care of your children with no sense of what the future will hold, what happens when you get to America. What do you mean when you get to America? Right now, it's almost impossible if you're an Afghan. Go ahead. Woman who actually got separated from her family. So she was inside here, but the rest of her family was stuck outside the base. There is no mechanism for dealing with a situation like that. If you lose your family, you lost your family. Unbelievable. There's no way to reconnect people if they stay. There's no way to bring them in from the front gate. Honestly, there's no way to rescue anyone from the front gate. It's survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. But what's the problem? We just heard our steam commander-in-chief say, if you want to get out, get to the airport. He's so disconnected and detached. Cut 12, go. I was shocked when I came today because listening to the talking points that I was hearing from the Pentagon and the White House, I thought this whole thing was moving along swimmingly now. And yet here I am 12 hours later, and I haven't seen a plane take off in eight hours. And I'm watching children coming up to me being like, please, can you get me some food? Um. So it's clearly, it's clearly not working, um, and, you know, one can only hope, I get it, it's, it's a really mammoth, gargantuan even task, and, uh, you know, it's not for me to just sit on the sidelines and criticize without having an understanding of the, the enormity of this undertaking, but again, I just come back to the point before, why did it have to be this way? Why did we have to try to evacuate 60,000 people? in a few days with the Taliban providing protection for that operation. Mm -hmm. And cut 13, go. There are a lot of people who have been standing out in that scorching sun for many hours. And as I said, this is the last stage. It begins at the front barriers with the Taliban. Uh, We went through one gate this morning, a crush of people pushing, shoving, screaming, children crying out. I can honestly say it was one of the more harrowing things I have experienced. Then for the lucky people who do get in, you go to the next phase where you sit and wait for several hours. I have talked to people here who have been waiting for two days, two days. And it's such a bottleneck trying to get all these people processed and all these people through. And the problem is that at these bottlenecks, you have these very dangerous situations where you have a crush of people and crowds. And one soldier was telling me that yesterday, two women actually threw their babies over the fence, trying to throw them to the U.S. soldiers. One soldier actually caught the baby in his arms. He went and found the woman afterwards to give the baby back. But honestly, Brianna, what kind of desperation does a parent have to be in where that's your best hope is to try to throw your baby to a soldier to get them out, to save them from being crushed, to give them a better future? And I think there is nothing that illustrates better the panic, the chaos, the fear than that description. And now... As reported by Right Scoop, 
Clarissa Ward, that reporter, finally was able to get out. Some people are being rescued from the tightening grasp of the fundamentalist, authoritarian, insurrectionist, terrorist government, he writes. Uh, and Newsbusters' Curtis Halk said, praise God, after spending an entire day at the Kabul airport with flight takeoffs largely non-existent, CNN's Clarissa Ward is now on a flight out of Afghanistan. She needed to get out and so did her crew. And finally, today they did. Now, are they going to get everybody out, or are people going to be left behind? Well, Kate Benningfield, the White House Communications, I think, Deputy Director, whatever her title, it's irrelevant. Uh, She was on CNN today, and here's how that went. Cut 16, go. What you are not saying, though, I'm hearing in there that you are prepared to leave people behind. We are doing everything we can to get as many people out who want to get out before the August 31st deadline. That is the sole focus of the President of the United States and his team right now. They are doing everything operationally within their capacity to get out. I do think it's important, though, to remember, because there's been a lot of discussion about whether more of this should have happened before Kabul fell. And the one thing I would... I would All right, no, no, never mind. I'm not going to deal with the talking points and the spin. The answer is she didn't answer. Did she? Well, how many Americans are in Afghanistan? Do we know that? You had plenty of time to figure that out in the lead-up to your surrender. Cut 17, go. Hey, how many Americans still in Afghanistan? Do you guys have a number? Uh, you know, we don't have a precise number, and there's a reason for that. It's because uh, the number of people of Americans in Afghanistan uh, includes people who may have left the country, who uh, may have left over the course of the last six months. So what we're doing is working to identify uh, how many Americans are there. Um, as of a few weeks ago, we had already... We had right, ladies and gentlemen, how is it possible to get everybody out if they don't know who's there? I- I'm quite serious. How's it even possible? They got a lot of data on us. You know, you get on an airplane, you go through TSA. They got a lot of data, a lot of computers. Chinese hack into it all the time. They don't know who's left in the last six months. Don't you need a passport, Mr. Producer? I think you do. We have three million people or so in the federal bureaucracy. Can't they pull people from, say, the Department of Agriculture or the Department of Energy since they don't believe in energy or the Department of Education since they're destroying that too? Some of their tech whizzes and get them in there and get them in the computers and figure out who's where. Can't they do something? You know, Trump did Operation Warp Speed and came up with two and then later three vaccines in nine months. Never been done before. Does it sound like there's an Operation Warp Speed here, Rich? No, it sounds like there's an operation. Uh, Everything's fine. Take your time. Now, one more. James Clapper, he's back. Did did, did, Did Joe Biden know that the Afghan government could collapse? Remember who Clapper was? He was the director of national intelligence in the Obama administration. Cut 14, go. Did the intelligence community call it right, say, you know, in 11 days the government's going to collapse? Certainly not. But certainly there was a general awareness uh, of uh, the problematic nature of of the government and the military in Afghanistan. So so you're saying the intelligence agencies have been warning, in effect, this president and previous presidents for for years about the fragility of the Afghan government. Do do you then uh, hold 
President Biden responsible for, in effect, ignoring those warnings? Well, I don't know that he ignored it. I think he actually is well aware of this, this background. I know for a fact that he was aware of it, was briefed on it uh, consistently when he was vice president. So I, I don't know about ignoring it as much as, uh, but I do think he, he's, he is certainly aware of the situation. Uh, okay. That actually pertains so, to so, so Biden is lying to the American people, serially lying to the American people, saying that he had no idea it would collapse this quickly. He said it a few months ago when he was asked about it. Here's the deal. You want to know the truth? Biden didn't give an S. It's like the southern border is still wide open. He doesn't care. He's going to break the back of this economy and our financial system. He doesn't care. He's a dumb, old, nasty guy. Cheated his way through law school. Got elected in his first election by the skin of his teeth to the United States Senate. From a tiny state that's heavily Democrat. He got reelected every time since. Plucked out of obscurity. By an obscure man by the name of Barack Melhouse Benito Obama becomes a failed vice president of the United States, just like Harris. Everything he touched turned to turds. And now he is the most disastrous president in modern times, if not worse. Now he hasn't even been in office a year. Now I want you to think about that. So here's what I don't understand. This is what impeachment's for. So why am I one of the few who's talking about this? What are the numbers? How many more times do I have to say? You've got to lay the foundation. You've got to build the case. It takes time, but it can be done. The Democrats lowered the bar on impeachment. Lowered it so far, in my view, it was unconstitutional what they did to Donald Trump. But the bar is much higher here. Many of the things that that this president's doing are high crimes and misdemeanors. Just because mental midgets like Tom Nichols doesn't understand it. You people say, who's Tom Nichols? Don't worry, it's, a, it's an ongoing running joke with me. He knows who he is, that's all that matters. He's a very big mirror. But you get my point, folks, right? Now there's Jay Clapper right there contradicting Biden. Even this uh, Jim Shuto, who knows Biden because he worked for Obama, even he's shocked. He said, he did? He did? He knew? Of course he knew. So here's the problem now. Everybody who reports at CNN and MSNBC, except the real headbangers and dead-enders, they know in order to try and rescue their own rep- uh, reputations, in order to try and rescue their own reputations, for pushing this man and backing this man and backing his agenda, for undermining the prior president of the United States. Now, if they're going to have any credibility, and they're never going to have any credibility, because just like Biden, they are who they are, and history is history, and the records are clear. But in their own limited minds, their own limited minds, their view is, you know, we've got to take a stand here and at least try to show that we We know that what he's saying is inaccurate. Or we'll look stupider than we usually do. I'll be right back. Where are we, Mr. 
Mr. Producer, do we have any regular Americans on the line, please? Or just irregular Americans? Who do we have? The great KRLA, 870. Oleg, how are you? 18 years a listener, and I finally get through. Thank you. What do you, you. think? I feel great. Boy, you've been working hard. That's, your finger must be down to a, to a nub at this point. It, it's on speed dial. Oh, okay. How are you? I feel great, Mark, talking to you. Thank you. Let's kick it in. Go for it. I am very disheartened, Mark. Mm. I am a, not a refugee, but an immigrant from the former Soviet Union, mm-hmm. escaping that ideology in practice, only to see what's happening now. Very disheartening, Mark. Oh, hell, hell yeah. And, uh, and I'm an escapee from uh, Philadelphia. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard you mention that a lot. Uh, all I can do is educate. Thank goodness my two children uh, are, they, they love you, especially my daughter. She loves your put-downs on the airheads. <laughs> well, uh, there's many of them. I want to thank you, sir. And don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Thank you. Um. I'm going to try and get, you know what, the rest of the show, there's too much, you know, stuff can wait, the rest of it. We're going to take calls the rest of the show as long as you folks are calling in. I'm going to pull up the call screen during the break, and I'll talk to as many of you as I can. I know you're very anxious to get in, and I don't blame you. And uh, let's see here. And I want to give each one of you who, who does get in a signed copy of American Marxism. If it were up to me, I'd give you a million of them, but I can't, I can't get around to that. Uh, but there is this weekend, you'll be in Costco and Walmart, BJ's and Sam's and where else, Mr. Producer? Target. Um, if you want to act immediately, you can go to Amazon, which is enormously convenient. Barnes & Noble out there, let's not forget, and Books A Million and all the independent stores, too. So I hope, please, get your copies, get them to your kids if they're going to colleges and university. we got a lot of work to do. Be right back. If you want to talk to Mark, we have two numbers for you to call. For regular Americans, call 877-381-3811. For liberals, call 877-381-3811. Well, I lied. I do want to play something for you, and I think you'll be pleased that I do. This is a gentleman at a school district. I'm desperately looking for my log here. I think it's here somewhere. Yes, it is. Look at that. His name is Derek Wilburn, and he's a wonderful man, you can tell. He's also an African-American, and in these days, we have to note these things. It's not good enough to say an American anymore, but I want you to listen carefully to what he has to say. Go. I am the direct descendant of the North American slave trade. Well, both of my parents are black, all four of my grandparents are black, all eight of my great-great-grandparents, all 16 of my great-greats. On my mother's side, my ancestors were enslaved in Alabama. On my father's side, we were enslaved in Texas. I am not oppressed. 
I'm not oppressed, and I'm not a victim. I'm neither oppressed nor a victim. I travel all across this country of ours, and I check into hotels, and I fly commercially, and I walk into retail establishments, and I order food in restaurants. I go wherever I want, whenever I want. I am treated with kindness, dignity, and respect, literally from coast to coast. I have three children. They are not oppressed either. Although they are victims, I've taught my children they are victims of three things, their own ignorance, their own laziness, and their own poor decision making. That is all. My children, we are not victims of America. We are not victims of some unseen 190-year-old force that kind of floats around in the ether. Putting critical race theory into our classrooms is taking our nation in the wrong direction. Racism in America would by and large be dead today if it were not for certain people and institutions keeping it on life support. And sadly, sadly, very sadly, one of those institutions is the American education system. I can think of nothing more damaging to a society than to tell a baby born today that she has grievances against another baby born today simply because of what their ancestors may have done two centuries ago. There is simply no point in doing that to our children. And putting critical race theory into our classrooms in part does that. Putting critical race theory into our classrooms is not combating racism, it's fanning the flames of what little embers are left. I encourage you to support this resolution. Let racism die the death it deserves. And let's keep living the life of country Isn't he fantastic? Absolutely fantastic. And those speeches can be made and should be made across America. Schools are opening now. Some of them are opened already. That speech can be given at a shareholder meeting in front of a corporation which so far have not felt the wrath of patriots in this country. They can be given in hearings, state legislatures to claw back funding for colleges and universities. Almost 850,000 of you have a copy of American Marxism, and I'm sure most of you read Chapter 7. That's the chapter for pushback. And it's very, very important. I was in a Costco today, my local Costco, Leesburg, Virginia. I told you I go there about once a week to get a hot dog. And uh, I always walk through there, you know, keep my hat down. There's the other things I get from time to time. I went through the book table there. And I want to thank them because there were a couple of stacks of my book. But it looks like you folks are very busy because there were a lot of new books, including from some of our friends. And there were a couple of stacks there, and it didn't look like anybody was buying many of them. But when it came to American Marxism, there were two stacks, and they were half gone. And whether it's Costco or Barnes & Noble or Walmart or Target, Sam's Club, BJ's, so many of you out there. And even most of all, Amazon. 
I feel like we're making a lot of progress. I really do. I really do. I think we'll be at 900,000 in a couple of weeks. And maybe a month or so after that. I think we'll be at, uh, at the million mark. And as I've told you, I think when we're at the million mark, that's where we're going to be. That is, then we've reached the pinnacle. Hopefully more, but then we've reached the pinnacle. That means a million of you. A million of you have, have jumped in. It's a big army. Now I'll tell you what else is interesting. We're under the radar. The Republican Party leaders in Washington have no idea what's going on. They beat their chests about winning the 2022 election. That's going to be because of you Levinites and patriots out there who are reading American Marxism. You're your own precinct workers in an event. When you walk your dogs or you're outside or a social event or something, you're mentioning the book, you're mentioning the contents. Very, very important. But a lot of these books that are out today, you can't really do that. There's nothing to mention. I don't think I'm ever going to write a book about myself. It would be kind of weird, Mr. Producer. You're going to write it? I have to sue your ass. But anyway, the closest thing was rescuing Sprite, frankly. And it wasn't about me. It's about the family and our dogs. But that's it. All the other books have been mission-oriented, patriotism-oriented. But as, the, as many of you know, who have even li- or either listened to the audio or have read the book, this is a, it's a significant book. So if I wrote an insignificant book, I wouldn't be saying, get my book, get my book, get my book, because I'm in it, I'm on it, I'm whatever. But no. And by the way, I have no problem with that. It's just not what I do. It's not what I do. And you'll learn all about Herbert Marcuse. One of Tom Nichols' iconic heroes. One of the heroes of Salon. Who was a communist, a Marxist. From the Frankfurt School in Frankfurt. But Mark, you said he was from the Franklin School. Yeah, it's a little error. We've, weeks ago, I told the publisher we need to change that. Well, then you must be a real dummy. 85,000 words in this book. 85,000 words. Hundreds of endnotes. There's no hiding here. There's no plagiarism here. It's a straightforward book. If you want to learn about Herbert Marcuse beyond what I've written, you can go to the back and see what books he's written yourself and acquire them like I did. But there's no need for it. There's no need for it. So, this is a critical weekend with what's going on around the world, what's going on in this country. The FBI now, I started the show off with this because the FBI wanted to hide this under the events of Afghanistan. And as the story points out, there was no insurrection, there was no coordination to attack the Capitol building. So the entire core of the argument that has been made for months and months and months by the media, the same Russia collusion media, the same rhinos, the Liz Cheney's and Madden Kingsinger's and 10 or 12 of, the, of their ilk. And of course, Pelosi and Schumer trying to, trying to exploit it, trying to, trying to insist that it was an insurrection. Now think about this. They hate the country so much. They hate us so much. They hate President Trump so much. 
that they have to promote the idea that there was an insurrection when there wasn't an insurrection. And the FBI has to put the information out on Friday evening, but don't worry, I'm here to catch all this stuff. That's why Rush called me the cleanup hitter. Yeah, they can throw it, but I'm here, no matter what's going on. So it's official, what we already knew. There was no insurrection, there was no incitement to an insurrection. The second impeachment of Donald Trump was as bogus as the first. What is it, Mr. Producer? Are you telling me to move it? All right, we'll take the break now. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Well, we're kind of out of time here, pretty much. I have a piece on Air Force Academy cadets forced to watch a Black Lives Matter video. This is what our generals, this is what our senior brass are doing. They ought to be fired. Anybody who does this, if we take back the White House, God willing, we need to take names and kick ass here. The military brass needs to be changed. It must be changed. Air Force Academy cadets forced to watch Black Lives Matter video. Do these fools even understand that these are Marxists that want to overthrow our country? I mean, this is, this, is, this is why I wrote American Marxism. We have to identify what's going on here. And over at James Madison University, they're training students that Christians and white males are oppressors. Well, if Christians and white males are oppressors, do we have to pay taxes that subsidize that school, Mr. Producer? Maybe white people or people of color who aren't down for the revolution, and men, but even women who aren't down for the revolution, we don't want to oppress anybody, so maybe we should just stop subsidizing this. James Madison University in Virginia, of course, is training student employees, according to Fox, to recognize that people who identify as male, straight, what the hell is cisgender, or Christian, are oppressors that engage in the systematic subjugation of other social groups. So you see the world burning? Our borders wide open? If we don't get our ass in gear here, this is going to be the end. The training memo mandated for students, staff, hosted by coordinators Jessica Weed and Jennifer Iwerks, described oppression as the systematic subjugation of one social group by a more powerful social group, for the social, economic, and political benefit of the more powerful social group. Oh, shut the hell up. Jessica Weed and Jennifer Iwerks. Screw off. May I say, with no respect. There you are, James Madison University. Send your kid there and make sure they're armed with American Marxism. Right under their arm.
folks, a prayer for our fellow citizens in Afghanistan and our allies there too. And if you have a little time, a prayer for our beautiful Indy, my son Chase's dog that's very, very ill. Please watch Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday. If you can't watch it live, DVR it. It's very, very important. You're going you're gonna to really learn a lot. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. And we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey and Griffey, Pepsi, Smokey, Zelda, Gigi, and Barney. And good night, Dad, good night, Mom, and good night, Leo. Please get your copy of American Marxism.